Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Reading today from Ruth, chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, and verses 17, or 13 through 17. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have brought, bought Naomi, from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Hey, Jonathan, I'm not going to need that today. Thanks. Appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, you know, uh, they said next week is Chinook Sunday. Every Sunday, Chinook Sunday. Right? Now, now listen, all y'all, because next week is Chinook Sunday. We're not saying go out with the other half of our congregation fishing. Uh, Okay? It it means that these guys are going to be with us. Uh, They're going to be sharing some of their story. Uh, We're going to be hearing testimony. We're going to be enjoying fellowship with them later in the day. It's going to be a great day to celebrate Chinook's baseball and all that the Lord is doing uh, through ministry. Who knew that you could be about the mission of God doing something you enjoy, like playing baseball, right? Okay. I like to say um, God may not be a Dodgers fan, but then why take chances? Okay, okay. So that's, that's, a, that's for Lori. Okay. She's like, man, she follows them. Like, she, my wife's the baseball fan. I mean, I like baseball. I'm more the football guy, right? Um, you know, you don't have to be so smart. Um, baseball guy's got to think, right? Okay. Um, but uh, my wife, I mean, she is. Yeah, she can manage. I mean, she knows the game. So, anyway. Hey, it's so good to be with all of you this morning. Uh, This is our uh, final Sunday in our series on the book of Ruth. And uh, we've gone through uh, the first three chapters, and now we're in the climactic chapter four, uh, in which we um, see God's sovereign plan, his providential work in, in the life of Naomi and Ruth, 
uh, and in Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. Last week we said a type of Christ, right? Prefigures the work of Christ um, in uh, saving us for himself and guaranteeing our inheritance. All that we see in Boaz, right? And so we, we come now to the end and we see that. Uh, we see the, the celebration, the, the women of the, the community of Bethlehem pronouncing um, a blessing uh, upon Ruth. Uh, and it, it's just wonderful. You know, they're basically saying, you know, may you have uh, many, many children. Uh, and then, of course, we know that previously she'd been married 10 years and had not conceived. But again, in God's sovereignty and his plan, a plan that went well beyond what those in the moment could even have imagined, um, the Lord allowed her to conceive. So really, from the beginning to the end, uh, the whole book of Ruth uh, is about the hand of God working providentially and sovereignly, um, faithfully in the lives of those who trust him, uh, even in the moments where trust is most difficult. uh, But even there's a greater vision here that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not all things are good in and of themselves, but God works in those things. And as he's working, he has a plan that's much greater um, than just the affairs of our life. Because really... Uh, Our life is woven into the grand narrative that we find in the Bible from beginning to end, right? Uh, And our lives become a part of that narrative. We join God in his narrative of uh, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Uh, And we get glimpses of those things here in the book of Ruth. And of course, as the book of Ruth ends, we, we see the ancestry and we see that Boaz and Ruth are going to give birth to a son. And that son, right, will ultimately lead in the family line to a man named David. David who will be king of Israel. And it's on David's throne and in his lineage that we find the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so... That's good news for us to know that even in the affairs of our daily life, when we are interceding for one another, when we are crying out for ourselves to the Lord, um, that he has us in mind, but he has something much greater in mind, and we get to be a part of that. Isn't that good news? Man, that is just great news. Uh, Chapter 4, if you open up your Bibles, uh, begins... Uh, we're chapter 3 left off. That's pretty good, huh? Uh-huh. And uh, what we find at the end of chapter 3 um, is uh, Naomi telling Ruth, listen, I am certain. I know the character of Boaz. We know he is a righteous man. He is a man of valor. Uh, he is a righteous, God-fearing man. Uh, he has a reputation. People know him. Uh, he can be trusted. He can be counted on. You wait and see. He won't let this matter of your having a kingsman redeemer. Uh, he won't leave that unsettled. He'll get right to it. You watch, wait, and see. 
right? And I think about that. If, if Boaz is the type of Christ, right? If he prefigures, if he looks forward to our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, um, <clears throat> the one who paid with the cost of his own blood, right? For us to become his bride and to guarantee our inheritance. If Boaz prefigures that, if we're looking at Boaz, isn't that great news? The words to Naomi could be the news, uh, the words from Naomi to Ruth could be the same words to us. The Lord's got this. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on. He knows what you need. And he's going to work out all things according to his plan for your salvation, for your heavenly inheritance that he's promised you. He's got it. You can count on him. You can trust him. And so, chapter 4 begins. Boaz goes to the, to the gates of the city of Bethlehem. Now, that's significant because in this time, the gates are where people came and went. It's where they entered and left the city. And oftentimes, merchants would set up commerce around the gates, and elders and leaders of the community would be at the gate. Uh, there they would do the affairs of the city. They would be involved in settling matters of the law, legal issues that needed the elders to weigh in on. They were all there. And so Boaz goes there because he's looking for somebody. And the person he's looking for um, is the first in line, the, the, the first male relative of Elimelech, who is deceased, the husband of Naomi, He's waiting to see him because he's the first in line to be the kinsman redeemer. And so although he promised in chapter 3 to, to Ruth that, that if the other person wasn't willing to redeem her, that he would. But he was a righteous man. And he wanted to do all things that according to custom and tradition and law, and so he waited there. And now when he saw this person coming, it's interesting, the scripture doesn't mention his name. We don't know who he is. Um, in, in the language that it's written in, the original language, it's like saying kind of, hey you, so-and-so, come here. It's the greeting he gives him. It's not a real familiar greeting, nor is it one that identifies him. There's a couple reasons perhaps for that. Um, one is the, the author of Ruth felt it wasn't really important, or maybe because the first in line had the opportunity is going to give that away, pass that away. There might be some dishonor, or there might be like, well, what's up with you? How come you didn't fulfill your responsibility? So to be gracious and in order to save this person's reputation and not to have them in here forever, they just kind of just left the name out. Right? We don't know why, but that's speculation. So they come and they have the conversation, and essentially in front of the elders, uh, Boaz says, hey, there's Naomi, and then there's Ruth. Naomi is uh, Limelech's widow. 
uh, and she's getting ready to sell some property that now is going to leave the family. But you have an opportunity to keep it in the family by becoming her kinsman redeemer. And he says, great, I'll do it. And all of a sudden our hearts sink because as we've been following this kind of this romantic story, we're waiting for Boaz and for Ruth to come together to get married. And all of a sudden it appears, oh no, another adversity, another obstacle here. And of course, he says, I'll do it. But then Boaz says, but by the way, this also means that you have to take Ruth, the Moabite, uh, as your wife. And he says, oh, well, uh, I won't do that. That's not so much a commentary on Ruth as it is that person in the position they were in because he had a concern it might interfere with uh, his family line and inheritance. And, and so he says, no, I'm not going to, to do that. I'll, I'll help keep the land and the family, but I'm not going to, for whatever reason, take Ruth as my wife. And so then he gives permission to Boaz. And of course, Boaz has already determined that that's what he's going to do. Uh, and as he does that, we read here a proclamation of Boaz in uh, beginning in verse 9. It says, Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, Mahlan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahlan's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Now, according um, to law, Ruth and Boaz's firstborn son would legally be Mahlan's son. Which is why, then, there'd be a line of inheritance with property that would keep it in the family name. You see that? It's interesting. But the important thing is that he's declaring, you are my witnesses. You're my witnesses. And it kind of reminds me of the scene we see in Revelation 5, right? Where, you know, you have the, the scroll and the seals and, and who's worthy. And of course, by the way, the scroll and the seal with right hand inside and outside was like a deed. Much would have been used in the transfer of property or ownership of something here as well. And of course, Boaz is the righteous one. He is the one who is able to be the kinsman redeemer. And uh, he wants everyone to be his witness. And in, of course, Revelation 5, we see the, the elders gathered around proclaiming who is worthy. Who is the one? It's the lamb who what was slain, the one who shed his blood. It's interesting. 
here we see Boaz and, and he's with the elders and he's saying, you are my witnesses and they are witnessing to him that he is the kinsman redeemer, that he is a righteous man, a godly man. He is the one that God is working through providentially and sovereignly, right? Claiming Ruth as his own and guaranteeing that the inheritance remain in the family. So it's it's interesting as we look forward in Scripture or as we now are able to look back, we can see some, some imagery and some connections here. Well, he then takes Ruth, as we spoke about, as his wife. They conceive, but really it says the Lord conceives. And um, Naomi, uh, she is overjoyed, right? And they say, you know what? Ruth has been to you better than seven sons. Uh, her loyalty, her virtue. And remember last week we talked about how you had a man of valor and godly character connected with a woman of virtue. Ruth. And we see God working providentially through them to ensure, right, something. Um, That there would be a throne established and that throne would be the throne of David. And on David's throne would come the Messiah who would rule and reign forever. And he would be our kinsman redeemer. That his blood would be shed on the cross to to pay the penalty for our sin, to redeem us, to purchase us as his own, guaranteeing our inheritance as children of God. It's a wonderful story. It's wonderful imagery that we see here. And so as we look back over the story, we see some things that are just so important. It begins in chapter 1 with hopelessness. It's the struggle to hope. Naomi, my, my name, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, right? I once was pleasant, but now I'm bitter. I mean, that, that's, that's chapter one. Well, all of her loss and her heartache and her hurt. So it starts with hopelessness, but in the end, we see her with her grandchild, and we see her hope that she struggled to hold on to. We see her hope fulfilled. We see her hope fulfilled. And isn't that good news for those of us that are here today that are struggling to hope? That are struggling to hope. To know that, that God has not forgotten us. That God is aware and that he's working in ways that are seen and unseen in our lives, uh, not only to address the things that matter of concern to us, but also to weave those things into his greater grand plan and narrative that we're all a part of. That's good news for us this morning. And so you go from hopelessness, the struggle to hope, to hope fulfilled. In the end, God does not disappoint He does exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can expect or imagine. 
according to his power that's at work within us. We go from chapter 1 where the theme is loss and heartache and brokenness and dismay to chapter 4 to blessing and to gain. Chapter 1 starts with death. The death of Elimelech. Uh, the death of Ruth and Orpah's husbands. But chapter 4 ends with birth. Rebirth. New life. Again, I, I just see that kind of the imagery. We, we were dead in our sin and trespasses, Christ died to redeem us, that we might have new life, new birth. Man, that's right. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and then we see, of course, Boaz. You know who his ancestor was? Rahab. A Gentile prostitute. And then we see Ruth, a Moabite, and we see out of this man of virtue and godly character, or this man of valor and godly character, and this woman of virtue. We see the ancestry that goes to the throne of David and all the way to Christ our Savior. And isn't that good news reminding us that the gospel, the work of the Messiah, is not only for the Jew, but also for who? The Gentile as well. Those who seemingly are on the outs are central and key to God's plan of salvation. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Oh, and just an aside. Can I throw this in? This is for you, the 9 o'clock crowd, because you came today. All right? Little, little, little bit of... Um, in some Jewish tradition and circles, there are Jewish teachers who believe that Orpah, all right, who was the daughter-in-law that went back to Moab, they believe that one of her descendants was Goliath. And they teach that. And of course, that would mean that Ruth's descendant is who? And where would they meet? On a field of battle. Isn't that interesting? Just a little aside. I mean, there are some Jewish teachers who believe that and have taught that through tradition and history. It's just another little aside. An interesting piece. Speculation. Okay? Now, I want to close as I wrap this up. And I want to answer a question that someone in the congregation asked me a few weeks ago. 
not really a question, a statement. Um, and it went something like this. Uh, Todd, when you're talking about the, the hope that's in, in God and his working providentially uh, in and through our lives to accomplish the greater plan and that, that we can hang on to that hope and that God is faithful, he says, you know, there are probably a lot of people in the congregation that think that you you say that because it's easy for you to say that because you're the pastor. You're supposed to say that. You know, you're you're the paid religionist. You're 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 the you're the you're the professional Christian. Okay, you're supposed to say those things. Uh, and of course, the, the the concern of this person is a valid concern that there be those of you that are here that when you hear me share this with you. Maybe you're thinking that. That's easy for him to say. He's the pastor, right? Um, that's not easy for me to say. I say it with joy, but I say it with joy that's hard won. I say it not as one who comes to the Scripture merely as a student. I say it as one who has come to the Scripture as one who struggled to hope. And the very reason I sit before you Sunday after Sunday and I share from God's Word is because I've experienced the redeeming power of Christ in my life. And I've experienced His hope and I've experienced His healing and 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 and. <laughs> I'm experiencing his work in my life and making me whole. And, and that work will be completed when I'm with him. Like it is with Ralph and Gert. We celebrate them this morning. You know, when I share with you bits of my story, my personal life, it's not because I like it or I'm proud of saying, hey, listen, you know, my dad went to prison. I was abused by an alcoholic stepfather. I watched my mom die of cancer in my teens. I got thrown out on the street and had nowhere to go. After she died, I flunked out of college three times because I was clinically depressed. Hopeless. I don't share that with you because I want to draw attention to it. Those are painful parts of my life. But I share it with you so you know that I don't sit here as a person that just is telling you this because I'm supposed to. I tell you this because I know the reality of it in my life. And I'm compelled to share it with you. Because as your pastor, I have the privilege of walking with you in your hard times, in your dark nights of the soul. When you've been sick, or you've lost spouses, or you've lost your job, or you have children that you care about and are worried about. And, and I can go on and on and on in the six years I've been here with you. And what I have received from Christ, I want to give to you. I want you to know that our mission statement is, is more than words. That we're about bringing Christ's hope and His healing and His wholeness to whomever and wherever it's needed. 
And if we're going to do that, we have to admit, every single one of us, that we're broken in some way or we're struggling in other ways. And that our hope and our healing and our, our wholeness and our It has a source, and it's Christ. But if we're going to share that and admit that and acknowledge that, it's got to start right here with me. Okay? That's why I share with you about my life and about my struggles. Because it has to start here. There has to be authenticity. There has to be realness. Not the facade that we come to church and, and we have to put on the face that everything's okay. Okay? We come to church and we know that we're safe. We know we can be authentic. We know we can go back to the cross and get prayer and not worry about what someone's going to think. Because in reality, we know we should be there too. That's why we went through the book of Ruth. So there's more than just my word and testimony. It's God's word and testimony to you. And it's a hope that has been real and people have grabbed onto through the millennium. The history of the Jewish people, the history of the first followers of Christ, that's our heritage. That belongs to us. That's part of our story, your story, my story. This is as real as it gets. This is as real as it gets, for better or for worse. This is as real as it gets. So as we close our study in the book of Ruth, and as we look to those who went before us, and we think of those who will come after us, as we look to Ralph and Gert Fondell, let us always remember that hope and healing and wholeness is found in Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ alone that we stand together. Amen? Amen. Amen.